Triple HFM Sports in association with Atlas Chartered Accountants, HK Post, Hornsby RSL and ISC Sports welcomes you to Splinters, your no-holds-barred sports podcast. Here's your host, the raging bull, Anthony Caruso. Good evening and welcome to Splinters, the bench podcast on Triple H 100.1 FM, streaming on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au and available for download at podcast.com, Apple Store, YouTube Music, Spotify, TuneIn and all good podcast sites. We do it all for Atlas Chartered Accountants, the Hornsby Karingai Post, the Hornsby RSL and ISC Sports. Anthony Bull Caruso with you, and oh boy, this episode is going to be so hot off the presses, you'll be thinking you're touching metal right at the point of melting. Yes, we are going to wrap up the 2021 Formula One World Championship, a championship that only finished two days ago. Some of us still feeling the effects of lack of sleep from staying up and then being so wide as to what happened that we did not even get any sleep on the Monday night. I am joined tonight by my panel of experts when it comes to all things motor racing. First off, he is the wise man. He is our sage. He is Matt Mears. Good evening to you. Oh, good evening, Caruso. Good evening, all. I, I did think my uh, Splinters contract was up for the year after the, the two, I would, I would say, brilliant uh, cricket episodes we've put out over the last <laughs> couple of weeks. But uh, after what happened uh, a couple of nights ago and um, just how the F1 has season has been, um, over this year, I, there was no way I would miss this episode. We will talk contract stuff later after the show, but as I said, you, you, I, don't, I don't think you could uh, sum it up any better there. This this season, um, this weekend's race, everything has just been what Formula One has been crying out for, and um, I can't wait to talk about it. And joining us tonight, I, I think this might actually be his debut on uh, Splinters mate, here. we're just it? giving out debut caps left, right and centre here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so on debut on Splinters tonight is our one of our newer panellists, but he has set, made his mark already. We thought we'd bring him on the podcast show. Tace Wiggins, good evening to you. Good evening, Caruso. Good evening, Matt. Stoked to be here. So happy to keen keen to talk about the absolute blockbuster that we were gifted last night in Abu Dhabi. Lap one to lap fifty, what was it, fifty eight? Phenomenal racing and unpredictable as always and controversial as I'm sure we'll see in the coming weeks. And we're going to have a chat not only in regards to the season as a whole, that what happened, the race, the build up, the hype. The, everything that transpired, but we're also going to go through the implications it's going to have for next year, the contracts we're going to be discussing, and we're even going to have a little bit of a look into the F2 season. While not one of the more exciting ones all round, intriguing in terms of the impact that it will have over the next couple of years. Well, I, I don't know how we're going to do all this in an hour. Dead set, we could be just talk, spending this whole episode talking about the, the past weekend's race, but uh, it's been one of those seasons for the ages. F1, obviously, plenty to talk about, not just about this uh, this finale, but throughout the year, it's been a roller coaster. There's been storylines galore, and, and even the F2, we were lucky to see one of our own in Oscar Paratri. He was able to take home the F2 uh, title, means he did himself out of a drive because no F1 drives and uh, you're not allowed to race F2 again after you win the title. But he's going to be another one to watch in the future. Maybe in 2023 we can have two Aussies on the F1 grid. I hope we do. But uh, as I said, there's just so much to talk about in this episode. 
Absolutely. Well, ladies and gentlemen, strap yourself in. Michael Massey, maybe one of the last things he does in FIA is about to drop the five red lights and let's get going. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Splinters. Well, let's get straight into it, uh, gentlemen, and we're going to start off with the build-up to this last race, the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. And when we came into it, Mirzi, you know, we never thought we'd be in a position where the two leading drivers would be on exactly the same points coming into the last race. And that was off the back of, of three consecutive races, Lewis Hamilton winning over Max Verstappen in second place. Well, I don't even think... Uh the Netflix, who who make the the very popular documentary Drives to Survive, could even even scripted the position we were in coming into this race. Yes, having both drivers equal on points. Max had obviously um, got off to a terrific start. Mercedes were on the back foot, but Lewis Hamilton just fought and fought and fought his way back into it to leave the position where we are now. And it's just one of those things where we talked before about storylines. This is just one of those ones you can't write. You want to see good driving. You want to see close races. You want to have two guys fighting for the title from two different teams. We've not had that in in recent memory. So to have these two... The two best drivers in the world. You've got the the old head, the man who's been there, seven world titles, and then you've got the young upstart looking for his first title. It is a movie. It does write itself, but this, these twists and turns, wow. It's just, uh, it's been a phenomenal year. And really, Tace, when you, when you think about it, there were a couple of moments throughout the season where you thought if things had gone one way or the other, the, the, the championship could have been wrapped up by the time we got to Saudi Arabia. Yeah, absolutely. If you think back to Baku, Silverstone and Monza alone, had Max scored even reasonable points, 10 points or so in there, the championship would have looked very different. So there have been a few incidents that have turned and we've seen how many times the championship uh, lead changed throughout the season, but I think it made for an even better narrative by the time we got to the end here. Well, let's talk about this rivalry as it built up to the to the last race. And and for mine, there were, obviously there, there were a couple of incidences, incidents early on in the, se- in the middle of the season. And then the last three races really saw... Um, out of the last three or four races, we saw three massive incidents really flare things up. And it really, the, the tone was really set easy at that incident at Silverstone at Cops Corner where Verstappen got hit by Hamilton. Hamilton got a 10-second time penalty. I don't know what you think. For mine, I didn't think that penalty was harsh enough. Well, he still won the race, didn't he? Without yeah. Max there, 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 there was nobody that was going to be able to deny him the win. He, he, those two were just that much quicker than anybody else on the, on the grid, even their own teammates who are supposedly in the same specification car. But... Um, yeah, I, I don't think it was harsh enough. Um, obviously, the Red Bull even went back there and had Alex Albon, their uh, reserve driver, try and recreate it for the FIA to try and have the penalty changed. Like, that's some of the, the subplots that we'll, we'll hopefully talk about, just the, the off-track as well of what's happened. But you just think, had, had, had Max even have just backed off there, let Hamilton win, he, he took home the second place rather than having to go to hospital, he would have been, he would have had enough in the tank to um, to try and um, get through this get through this final race without having to do much at all other than finish to, to take the title so it is one of those 
it is one of those turning points throughout the season because it said Max had the big start, but that's sort of when Lewis started to come back. But at his home track at Silverstone, it was full to capacity, one of the first things in Britain to be at full capacity after the um, after everyone was out of lockdown from the coronavirus. So, as I said, everything was going his way that day, but boy, did he need it at that part of the comp- at that part of the season. And then we get to the lead up to the Italian Grand Prix taste, where Max found his next wave of form. He he won in a rather controversial circumstances at the Belgian Grand Prix, and then at the return to Zandvoort, he was simply untouchable. And then we get to Monza, where we saw the famous um, parking incident at the Variante Retifilio. Yes, of course. Uh, that race was so exciting. If it wasn't for Max's poor pit stop there, which was a surprise considering Red Bull's normal pit stop form, we may have seen, again, another very different circumstance in the championship but Max looked strong going up there of course Ricardo taking the lead was a surprise uh, and coming next to Lewis was a surprise but um, I had a look at the crash and the exact same move that they were trying to attempt Lewis did to Kimi in 2018 so he knows how to do it and he knows it can work but yes I guess circumstances interfered there and they came together but uh, that may have been the start of the turn of form where we've seen Hamilton return to this dominant sort of form in recent memory in the last few races but uh regardless max fought and here we are standing with him as champion and then we get to the real flashpoint mirzi the return to interlagos and the the shenanigans at the end of the straight over three consecutive laps and this was really the point where this is really the point for mine where i thought michael massey and the stewards at some point had to start stepping in because it was going to get nasty. Well, that's the thing is because both drivers knew that when th- when push came to shove, and this was the, the prime example, that it was more like they just didn't want to interfere. They just wanted to let them race so they could push that boundary further and further and further. And then I think that leads into that, th- that first lap incident in Abu Dhabi, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a moment. But... As I said, you, you hear both both sides thinking they're hard done by when it goes against them. But I think both of them have had very luck, have had a lot of luck with some of these decisions. There has been some talk about Michael Massey and his team and, and how lenient they have been. But I think at the end of the day, you just you just want to see him race. I think you need to trust that the drivers are going to be as clean as possible and, and not try and take them out totally and and have anything untoward. But sometimes you can just ruin the theatre if. Like say Max had got gotten a, a drive-through penalty or something with at Interlagos, he would have taken away what that race was, and and that's what's drawing the fans. And throughout this season, they're, they're loving the drama that these two were able to put up, and uh, I think that's what the stewards were going for. And Michael Massey and his team is let them race, let let everybody that's on the outside looking in just enjoy it for what it is. It's an interesting um, point there from Mizi Tice is that you know Michael Massey and team were trying to trying to let them race, but it's it's a stark contrast if you remember back to 2019 where they started um, using the black and white flag as a sort of a yellow card within football to give the drivers a warning, going, "Hey, we saw what you did. It, you're getting away with it this time, but do it again, and there could be ramifications." We haven't seen that happen. And I just wonder, you know, what have they done in terms of the, the utilisation of that black and white flag? 
Yeah, that's true. I remember when they pulled it out on um, Charles Leclerc during the Monza Grand Prix in 2019. It felt like a long time since we'd last seen one used, but it also felt really appropriate and it set the tone in that race for what could and could be done on the on the limit um that would have been massively helpful multiple times i think in this season um they have gone with the let them race policy which was pushed after the slew of penalties we got in the 2019 season but um yeah i think that black and white flag needs to be used and i think it needs to be followed up with punishments if it's not adhered to. We then come through the three races through the Middle East, Qatar, Saudi Arabia and Abu Dhabi and we had that this sense music of it building up to Abu Dhabi and boy it didn't disappoint at I think the first massively controversial moment of the race being lap one turn five. Well yeah I said this was this was a, a talking point for a lot of the race so I have to agree with Martin Brundle in commentary for Sky obviously that's the, the commentary we get here in Australia as well where they the stewards did say that they felt that that Max well yes Max made the corner and everything and, and Lewis had to go off and, and rejoined uh, further down the circuit that he'd given back what advantage he'd made. I don't I don't agree with that because if they're going in side by side in that corner, yes, Max had a bit of a dive bomb and he probably, uh, probably went on the side of recklessness, but he was still down there. He was, he still made the corner. There was no he, contact. There was no contact. He, he, he stayed within the white lines and, and went through, and then somehow Lewis still ended up about a second or so in front of him. I think that, that Martin Brunner was right, that he still ended up with a, a huge advantage um, from that because, as I said, he just, got, um, he just got Max out of the D, DRS window. Uh, he, he was able to, to inch further away, and, and had Max been right on his tail, he probably wouldn't have been able to pull that gap as quickly as he did in those opening laps. So uh, whether he should have readdressed it, Probably not. I think that Max had a big, big enough of a dive bomb that, that Lewis probably deserved to stay ahead. But uh, where they were thinking that he gave back all the advantage, I, I, I certainly think that Lewis was the one who got the rub of the green on that decision. If I may on this one, I just um I did think initially watching it that um, Hamilton should have given the position back. But I looked back on the timing just regarding giving the time back. And approaching the corner before they hit their braking, it, the gap was 0. 0.414. And by the time they got to turn nine halfway through, Lewis reduced it back to 0. 0.458. So while he was four hundredths off, I will give them that he gave the time back. However, keeping the position in that circumstance and then taking the slipstream away from Verstappen down to turn nine really could have made a difference. So I, I understand the stewards' perspective, but I also think... Max was certainly disadvantaged there. It's a massive, for mind, I was 100% with Martin Brundle. For mind, I thought it was an incredibly opportunistic move by Max. It could have gone very horribly wrong if he didn't get it right, but I actually thought Max got the move right on the limit. Not much further, but just enough that it was on the limit. There was no contact made. As Mizzy rightly stated, he was still on the circuit the whole way, and Hamilton really went off the road, okay, that's fine, and he ended up ahead because he went off the road. But for mine, the crucial thing was Max was actually ahead when they hit the 
as they went through the apex. So for mine, I thought Hamilton had actually lost position by that point if you go by the position on the circuit. So it's a it's a real grey area in that regards. Tace is right in that the interpretation is from the steward in that he had to give the time back and not the position. I, I, I was with Martin Brundle there on the night. I didn't agree with the steward's interpretation of the situation, but... Be that as it may, Hamilton did follow through with what the stewards said. I just don't think the stewards got it right. I agree. I, I just think that, um, that it's it's the form. It's the last race of the season. They're tied on points. What do you think is going to happen on the first lap? Like, what else are they? What are you expecting? Like, they, of course, there's going to be a dive bomb. Of course, one of them is going to be want to be in front. Um, after the first lap and, and they know that this is the time when they need to take advantage of being close together so it, it is nuts to think about but at the end of the day like we'll, we'll keep talking about this race Mercedes might think they're hard done by later but I think the first uh, the first one has to go to Lewis in this situation you've got to remember as well though like Lewis has been around the block a few times he's not new so Coming up to that corner, he didn't defend the inside at all. And knowing that Verstappen's probably going to have a lunge on his soft tyres, there was no attempt at a switch back either. He simply hung it around the outside, which only really gave him the option to take the runoff. So he did have options available to him in a predictable situation that he didn't utilise, despite his experience. We then go to later on in the race itself and the round of pit stops that occurred and some of the most, once again, some of the most brilliant defensive driving we've seen this year. Sergio Perez for three laps with a fresh Lewis Hamilton behind him made that car look like the Great Wall of China. If if Max has not got uh, the biggest Christmas present for Checo, <laughs> then there is something wrong because that one, Max the Grand Prix, in my opinion, what he did there for Max, holding up Hamilton, Hamilton new tyres um, versus Checo's old soft tyres, mate, that's what when you talk about teammates and you and you look up in the dictionary like the perfect teammate. Now it's just going to have a picture of Checo. Yeah, that was it right there. It was phenomenal. That reminded me a lot of actually uh, Alonso and Hungry with his blocking of Hamilton. He just he put it on the apex and just back him up time after time. And you could hear on the onboard Lewis was having to lift off into every braking area and follow Perez through. That was fantastic. It was brilliant driving, and it really does that moment. If nothing else, I thought confirms the masterstroke that Red Bull pulled in signing Checo when Racing Point, soon soon to be renamed Aston Martin, didn't want him. Which I still think was one of the at the time, probably one of the most stupid decisions ever seen in the Formula One grid. But hey, Checo has repaid his faith in Red Bull. And, you know, I take your point, Mizzy, not just Verstappen, but Christian Horner as well. Well, exactly right. Like, we'll get to some of the other decisions, but Mercedes can really have a look at some of the decisions they made towards the end of the race and go, well, maybe some of them did cost Lewis. Because Lewis was quite open in questioning some of the calls that Mercedes weren't making and Red Bull were so sometimes that's what it comes down to it's it's what strategy call that you make what situation do you get in you got to remember Bottas as well was nowhere to be seen throughout any of this and he is supposed to be the golden boy teammate here and um, he had a poor qualifying and, and ended up being around between sixth and eighth for the entire race so 
had he been up there as well, maybe we could be talking about different things again. There's just so many pieces to this puzzle, which makes it so fascinating. Well, let's go to those decisions that were made, Tace, and we move then on to the next big moment of the race, which was the virtual safety car that came out. And I don't know what I thought for mine when Lewis Hamilton did not go into the pits to change. I, I, my first thought was, I think Mercedes are in trouble here because they yeah. just missed a trick. A hundred percent. With the pace that they had shown, it really did seem a shock because there was plenty of time left in the race for Lewis to close down the gap that he would have lost. And that time would have been minimal. Um, so really, I do think that could have changed the face of things. Obviously, he would have had more grip at the end there to fight Max with that one lap dash. But yeah, I guess he was very close to the pit entry at the time and they were trying to preserve track position over Max. So tough decision for them. And I guess they chose to play it safe. Whether that paid off or not, I guess it didn't. What they should have done, what they should have been doing by that point was going, well, whatever Max does, you do, cover him off and then carry on as carry on as normal because what it then did was it then put Hamilton on the back foot if it decided to happen again and lo and behold, it's not the case, Measy, of is that Glock? Is that Glock? It's is that Latifi? <laughs> Mate, that... <sighs> I don't know how Latifi didn't get voted driver of the day. I get that. I get that it was Kimi his final race, but we wouldn't be in the situation that we're in um, if um, Latifi King didn't Latifi. crash. No, no, King Latifi. Oh, King, oh, King Latifi didn't have his little praying uh, with a couple of laps to go. I'm sure he won't be paying for a Red Bull for a couple of years to come um, after that. But. Um, as I said, it, it just drew the um, it drew that safety car, and it, as much as uh, Mercedes probably wouldn't have wanted it, it needed it. There was bits of uh, Williams all across the track, and um, it was just one of those ones where you, Red Bull were praying to the the, the, the driving the F one gods that they needed something to go their way, and that's what went their way, and they pulled the right call. They had nothing to lose. They just had nothing to lose. And, of course, Taste, what we notice at this point is probably one of the most glorifying pieces of radio snippets I have ever seen in my life. It is the meltdown of Toto Wolf. <laughs> oh, it was fantastic. Um, I do like Toto, but the uh, FIA to uh, Pitwall radio stream is just fantastic. Hearing the back and forth was awesome, and Toto was furious. We'd heard him earlier in the race asking... Um, Michael not to bring out a safety car for the race, which I thought, frankly, was a bit irresponsible. But yeah, he did very much not like that. But I think all the right calls were made in the end during that safety car period. Well, in terms of having to bring out the firstly, the virtual safety car was a fair enough thing because all I had to do was pull the car into a the escape road and then they were good to go again. But with Latifi's crash, it absolutely needed a safety car. 100%, yeah, it needed. It. And I don't know what I don't know what Wolf was thinking going there. At that point on, I actually thought he's lost his mind yeah that was the desperation i think there that's where we heard how frantic it is and the pressure but um you know it's appropriate in the situation and you can't blame him for it but you can't blame the race director either because that was a hundred percent the right decision well that's what massey is always about he's he, he said it before and he said it throughout the race safety is his number one concern and it's not just the safety of the drivers it's just the safety of the marshals and the the um, the retrieving crew and everybody that's got to come out on the track to get that Williams off. So well, I do know that it was the virtual safety car that he said that 
we don't need a proper safety car, but there's no way that you could be fighting a, a, a proper safety car for that uh, Latifi accident. It needed to be it needed to be for that as much as Mercedes knew that it was going to ruin any advantage they built up. But just have to say though, as much as we've loved the Max versus Lewis on the on the track. Toto versus Christian Horner off the track, mate. Oh, my said, God. Oh, yes. this just, it said, it's another one of these subplots. It's like, it's almost the B plot line from this movie that um, the F1 season has been. Just wait for Drive to survive. They're going to have an absolute day with this. They, they need a whole season just for this weekend. Yeah, they really do. There better be a two-episode special. Oh. I'd be more than happy with that. God, it's going to have to require it. And then we get to, obviously, the big moment, the most controversial moment of the race, which was the debate about how they were going to finish the race. My thought after seeing the crash, seeing the debris around was, that's it, they'll finish it behind the safety car, we're, we're done. But they, they did a pretty good job with cleaning it out. But then, out of nowhere, when the early indication were that the, the lapped cars were not going to be released, the announcer with a lap left behind the safety car that they were going to be released, and that's when it all started. And all of a sudden, you're realizing Max has pitted. He's on softs. Hamilton's still out on hards. Max could actually win this on the last lap. Let them race. That's, yes. that's I think, was the was, is being the edict from halfway through the year. And, and all the decisions that we've seen, through all the races is let them race and I think we're obviously going to be going off what's being said because if you're in the Red Bull camp of course you wanted to of course you wanted Max to be able to have a go at him if you're at, if you're in the Mercedes camp you you want to protect that track position as much as possible but for the casual fan for the fan of F1 that doesn't have a foot in either camp what else would you want to see do you want to see the last race of the year suck finish behind the safety car I think there's only maybe a hundred people at that circuit that would want that race to finish under a safety car and they all had a Mercedes badge on their shirts and I think that's the, the correct thing the only thing I would have said I would have done in that time was I actually would have released the lapped cars earlier and tell them, get on your way, get behind it, because we're going to start this with maybe two laps left. But when you get to where that stricken car is, you ought to slow right down, get around safely, and then rejoin. And then by that point, you've got everything ready to go, everyone's cleared out, and you've given them two laps to go for it. I think it's a little bit difficult in that regard, because as I said, we are coming down to safety, and I think as, as great a job as they did cleaning up Latifi's car, it did take them a while. And the, when they did release him, that was about the time when everything was removed from the track. Yeah. And yes, it was all rush. It was all last minute. But that was the time that they could finally push that go button. And as I said, I think you've got to look at it from a, an outsider's point of view, from a race fan's point of view. They, they got the cars they needed out of the way. There wasn't anything else really on the line further back. It was just those couple of cars between Hamilton and Verstappen that needed to get out of the way. And they're, they're the ones that they got out of the way. Yeah, that's exactly right. It's just, if we had that situation and we left six cars between the championship protagonists in the deciding race with one lap to go and they finish five seconds apart, it's just the biggest missed opportunity from so many different perspectives for so many different people. So I'm so glad that they let them fight and they gave us pure leader to second racing. 
Of course we're going to get all the... This isn't over. We know that. We'll probably talk about that in a minute. But can you imagine the headlines today had they not let it go ahead and they oh. did leave it behind the safety car or they did restart it and left the lap cars there? It would not be favourable for F1. No, not at all. fixing allegations. You could see it coming. Corruption, whatnot. Yeah, absolutely. Well, well, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take a break. We're going to take our pit stop now. And when we come <laughs> we're back... We're for softs. We're going for it at the uh, end. We are going to go for it at the end. Absolutely. It's a sprint to the finish here, ladies and gentlemen. When we come back, we'll be wrapping up the season and then looking into next year. You are listening to Splinters, the bench podcast on Triple H 100.1 FM, streaming on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au and available for download at podcast.com, Apple Store, YouTube Music, Spotify, TuneIn and all good podcast sites. We do it all for Atlas Chartered Accountants, the Hornsby Karingai Post, the Hornsby RSL and ISC Sports. We'll be right back. It's time for the crew to catch their breath. We'll be back after this short break. Do you think the government deserves more of your hard-earned money? If not, make sure you talk to Atlas Chartered Accountants. Atlas Chartered Accountants makes sure the money you earn stays in your pocket through legal tax planning strategies, from finding that last tax deduction to tax-effective business structures for asset protection purposes so you can invest in what really matters, your family and business. Visit their website at ihatetax.com.au. Atlas Chartered Accountants. They are dedicated to you and dedicated station sponsors of Triple H 100.1 FM. Hornsby RSL Club, your perfect place to catch up with friends and family. With dining options ranging from modern Australian favourites in the courtyard, authentic Asian cuisine from Keku, or delicious wood-fired pizzas from Level 1, there is something for everyone to enjoy. Join us weekly for entertainment activities such as trivia, meat raffles, bingo and free live music. Or grab some tickets to see one of our first-class entertainment acts in the showroom. Thinking of holding an event? Let our friendly events team guide you through every step to create the perfect event for any occasion. Visit our website at hornsbyrsl.com.au for further details. Hornsby RSL Club, proud sponsors of Triple H. Want to look your sporting best on and off the field? Then make sure you get kitted out with ISC Sport Teamwear. ISC Sport are Australia's leading name in custom sports uniforms with a wide range of sportswear tailored to your team's needs. 100% Australian owned and fully customisable. ISC Sport cover all four winter codes and cricket, basketball, netball and hockey as well as training and outerwear, ensuring you look the part when representing your community. As Don Rizzuto would say, look sharp and play pretty with ISC Sport. Visit their website, iscsport.com, for more information. ISC Sport, official clothing partners of Triple H 100.1 FM. Streaming on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au. Welcome back to Splinters, your no-holds-barred sports podcast. Welcome back to Splinters, the bench podcast on Triple H 100.1 FM, streaming on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au and available for download at podcast.com, Apple Store, YouTube Music, Spotify, TuneIn and all good podcast sites. We do it all for Hornsby Karingai Post, the Hornsby RSL, Atlas Chartered Accountants and ISC Sports. Anthony the Bull Caruso with the wise man Matt Mears and Tace Wiggins as we wrap up the 2021 Formula 1 season. We've just got to the end of the race. We've had the presentation. It's all done and dusted. Or so we thought, Matt Mears. I was going to say, it's not done and dusted by a long shot. 
As said, we've, we've already seen two appeals be knocked back um, at, at this time of recording. Um, that's not going to be the end of it. Mercedes will have their high-priced lawyers, and they'll be they'll be going through the uh, regulations with a fi- with a fine-tooth comb. I think Toto's gone back saying it's an injustice. That it should be the result should go back to the penultimate lap, which obviously Lewis was still in front. Oh, mate, as I said, like we, we always we always like rugby league because rugby league's the the gift that keeps on giving throughout the off season, just because there's so many different news stories that come off the field. From the from the players, we won't go into that now. But there's going to be so many storylines, so many things coming out of this throughout the off season. It's only 95 days away from FP1 at Bahrain. I think these 95 days are going to have a lot of newsworthy stuff to be filled with, particularly with this, because as I said, it's not going to be finished anytime soon. As the big thing takes is that you know we've seen two of those challenges go through. The new challenge that's going to be coming up, it's not even a complaint about something that, hap- that necessarily happened on track. It is a outright appeal against the conduct of the stewards. This has never been done before. It's It just really feels like clutching at straws after a hard loss. And it is that. It's a hard loss, but someone has to lose at the end of the day. And for the FIA or any governing body at this point to overturn a race result and a championship result would be absolutely insane. I'm sure that's unprecedented. Uh, so I can't see anything that they say going through and actually causing a difference in the result of the championship. Well, with that, we then move on to what is colloquially known as Formula 1.5, the battle of the best of the rest, because this year was completely dominated by Mercedes versus Red Bull. And coming in third, probably the one of their best improvements we've ever seen from a shocking year, the skull, the prancing horse of Ferrari, finishing in third place ahead of McLaren, Mercedes, yes. and this battle for third place taste. This was a great challenge. Uh, all year, it was phenomenal to watch. The form would bend from track to track from the early year down to the last one, and all four drivers are phenomenal, and they all get along. So it was nice to see not a a vicious battle and no animosity, but just hard racing, wheel to wheel, and a championship that was very unpredictable and obviously, in my opinion, ended very favorably. Well, I know, Caruso, next to your your, your um, poster of Pat Cummins on the wall, you've got your poster of Charles Leclerc. We know <laughs> where your allegiances lie and how Roxy puts up with you, I never know, but... <laughs> I, I dead set thought once once we saw the McLaren one two at uh, at Imola that it was McLaren's to lose and that they would they would take third in the title. But for whatever reason, when they got to these um, last few tracks, they they just seemed to lose something. Whether they didn't have the upgrade packages and they're, they're saving everything for the new car in twenty twenty two, I don't know. But for all you Ferrari fans, the, certainly they they took the, the bull by both horns, no pun intended, and really put everything they had into it. And they deserved to get third position. They had some great performances by both sides. Science finished on the podium. in the, <laughs> He finished third in, in this last race on the weekend. It, that, that gets forgotten with everything that's going on. So um, they're only going to get better and better. If they've, got their, if they've got their head around these new regulations, boy, we're going to have some great racing next year. And for mine, I thought, 
you know, there are two drivers who I thought deserved to be up there for, I think, not in terms of the overall standings, but I thought the driver of the year. One of them was Carlos Sainz, and the other one, Tace, was Pierre Gasly. Oh, Pierre performed so, so well this year, especially in qualifying. His run of, what was it, top sixes, top fives was phenomenal. He outperformed the car, in my opinion. Obviously, the race pace wasn't quite as strong, but in most of the races he started up there, he would finish around about the same place. So Gasly had a phenomenal year, and Carlos also had a phenomenal year. We saw at the um, start of the year he'd be a few tenths behind Charles most of the time in most of the sessions, and gradually throughout the year he improved and improved and adapted, and much like I'm sure Ricardo wish he could, he uh, got his handle on the car and started pulling out results better than Charles and has now finished ahead of him in the championship. So, yeah, quite a great year for both of those. And next year should be phenomenal for them both, I expect, as well. Well, Pierre, Pierre Gasly, with some of those performances, he was almost the second Red Bull, even though he was in the, the Alpha Tauri where, where, when Checo was still getting uh, his head around uh, that Red Bull. But it'd be interesting to see... I, he, he obviously outperformed that car. Now it's his job to try and get a bigger drive. Whether they give him that second seat at Red Bull again uh, when Checo finishes his time, I don't know. But I tell you, there'd be some other teams that would be sniffing around, particularly if they get off to a good, car, a good start with the new 2022 car, that uh, he should be competitive and, ver- and get closer to the front in the next couple of seasons. Yeah. I think for next year, um, or even the coming years, Pierre should probably follow the Carlos Sainz model of what did he do? He went on loan to Renault and then off to McLaren and started getting himself out there independently instead of sort of tethered to the team. I think Pierre's talent is recognized enough now that other teams would be interested and he could definitely branch out from the Red Bull family and solidify himself. It's just it's just finding a seat. That's the problem. Finding yeah. a competitive seat. It's you, you, there, there's enough teams on the grid to get a get a seat, but are you to get in a Mercedes? Obviously, the the, the big seat will be when Lewis Hamilton retires, if he ever does the way he's going, <laughs> because Max is going to be in that Red Bull for a long time. Obviously, that second seat next to him, Checo wants to stay there. George Russell's probably signed himself a lifetime deal at Mercedes. Now it's going to be to see who of the, the next of these 1.5 teams with the new regulations can step up because it's going to be interesting. You know, Lando's got a big deal, big a long contract with McLaren. He's betting on that they're going to be able to get their head around it. So it's going to be next season. I know we haven't got there yet, but I just I can't wait to see the form of some of these cars and some of these drivers because we talk about silly season. Some of these guys, we're just going to get even sillier trying to get in the best cars. Well, before we move on, let's let's give a couple of our awards for this for this year. We've got the obviously Verstappen, Hamilton at the top. We had um, Nikita Mazepin at the bottom in terms of their points tally. But I want to get your nominations first off. Your driver of the year. Put away the cars. Who do you think overachieved the most in the, in terms of their um, ex- expectations? Oh, thanks. Uh, my my um, my pick would definitely be George Russell. The things he Ooh. did in that Williams, particularly throughout the middle of the year, the, the getting on the podium at uh, Spa, um, Mister Saturday, getting into Q three in that. Williams, I, I still don't know how he did that. He deserves that Mercedes seat next to Hamilton, and boy, we're, we're talking about we're talking about the, the two horse race that this year was. 
I can't wait to see what he does next year in that Mercedes. I, I just think he, he is obviously, they're grooming him to, to take that top spot of Hamilton when he decides to hang up his helmet. But as I said, if he can perform like he did in that in that Williams, and we saw what he did last year when he had that one-off drive um, at the super short circuit in the on the oval, um, it, it almost was what he did coming back three times and almost winning the race. Um, he's going to be scary good in that Mercedes. And, and I still think that he just performed so well in a car that quite clearly was beneath him. It, 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 wasn't a, it wasn't a competitive car, but boy, some of the things he did with it were just phenomenal. Case? I think for me, it's got to be Lando. Lando. As thinking back, especially the highlight for me was Imola when he managed. He put half, you know, a millimeter out of the track limits. But during qualifying, when he popped it up in a P2 to surprise the top boys in a McLaren that we know is not anywhere near the pace of a Mercedes or a Red Bull, that for me showed the difference between car and driver. When the driver really makes that difference to be able to push and deliver results like that. I think ultimately he started about P4, but still phenomenal. And all through the season, especially the early races, he was up there, genuinely up there contending and pushing. So I think Lando, despite his inexperience, has performed incredibly, looked excellent next to you know a caliber driver such as Daniel Ricciardo and finished the season strong in P6. So I'd give that one to him. Biggest disappointment for the year? Mine is a toss-up between Yuki Sonoda and Daniel Ricciardo, uh, I'm probably going to give it to Sonoda on the basis that he seemed to start very brightly and then completely lost the plot halfway during the middle part of the season. It wasn't until the very last race that we saw a genuine glimpse of what he could actually do. I have to agree with you. Yuki was the, the biggest disappointment. We saw what Pierre did in the car. And you saw the, the results he got in the first couple. I think he finished 7th or 8th in the, in the first race at Bahrain. Like, he, he had all the tools there. He obviously had Honda's backing. They, they wanted a Japanese driver in, in one of the cars that they powered. But, yeah, it, just, it was almost like one little, one little crash turned into two little crashes. And he just, his mojo left him. He just couldn't get his head around it. He just, one crash led to another and he wasn't the driver that we all thought he was going to be. And um, it was good to see that he, he did get some points in that last race and, and hopefully that'll just give him a bit of momentum going into next year because, as I said, we've seen in the in the lower formulas he can drive. Maybe he just needed a season like this to sort of get the, the first year jitters out of his system and he can hit the round running next year. Yeah, not very exciting, but I, I do have to agree with Sonoda. I think the lack of improvement in gap between Gasly and Sonoda was the real surprise for me. Obviously, he came out swinging in Bahrain. We quickly realized that wasn't the form that we should expect from him week in, week out. But looking at those gaps in qualifying performances and then race performances, I think he was always sort of down there bar, you know, three or so races. Um, so, yeah, hopefully we've got more to come from him in the future. We've seen he's aggressive in Formula 2 and other categories. So just waiting for that to translate into Formula 1 and for the temperament and confidence to set in. Now we move on to what we what is going to be happening next year in terms of how the grid is going to look. And there are some very significant changes that is going to be occurring, uh, not least of which is going to be the drivers. But don't be surprised if there's more to be announced when it comes to the teams in future. First 
First significant change we do that it is going to be announced, obviously, is the driver lineups. And the biggest one, of course, that occurred was over at Mercedes with the announcement that Valtteri Bottas leaving to go to Alfa Romeo. That made room for George Russell to finally make the move to Mercedes. The move of... Um, Bottas tied in with Kimi Raikkonen announcing his retirement. But Alpha now next year means he's going with an all-new lineup with Bottas reteaming with Fred Vasseur and Guang Yu Zhou making his debut as the first Chinese driver in Formula One. Well, obviously, we know that he's got the uh, the Chinese backing behind him. The, the dollars, I think, ended up getting him that seat. Obviously, there was... Uh, Rumours of uh, Michael Andretti with um, cashed up looking to buy into Sauber, who is the, the team that, that run Alfa Romeo. They, they essentially, it is Sauber, but they brand themselves as Alfa Romeo, um, where maybe we could have seen a, a Colton Herter or someone like that from the uh, from America come over as, as part of Andretti's um, buyout. But he's got the seat. Obviously, the, the money comes with that as well, and, and it won't be the first time, won't be the last. We can we can sort of count them off how many there are of these paid drivers on the grid. Probably was the the only way that we would have seen Oscar Piatri in the um, in, on the on the grid at this point of the the season. Obviously, we'll talk about him in a minute, but uh, it'll be an interesting lineup. Bottas sticking around, where not being in the Mercedes surprised me a little bit. For Alfa Romeo it's good. They obviously like having the senior driver teamed up with the junior driver um, to have that youth and experience mix but um, I thought it would have been Bottas' time if he wasn't in the Mercedes. There's a lot of other championships that would have been looking to sign his services but it'll be interesting to see how he goes being uh, down in the, um, the sort of maybe the the bottom half, if uh, form stays as it is, because as I said, you, you could see when he was in that Mercedes and he was in the bottom half of the 10, he didn't like it too much. When he's going to be there permanently, it uh, might be a long season for old Valtteri. The, the other big um, change that was impacted directly as a result of George Russell moving to Mercedes taste is Alex Albon making his return but he's on loan to Williams from Red Bull. Yeah, that was an interesting deal, I think. Um, Albon will be more than happy to take that seat. Any seat in Formula One's a good seat. And also, combined with Williams' increase in form this year and the regulation changes for next year, there is a genuine promise that they might be fighting for points. But I think it would just be good to get Alex back on the grid. Uh, him and Latifi should form quite a decent team, I think, of experience and feedback. Um, so I'm excited to see him back on the grid and to see where he can move to from here and how he can perform. I still think it's interesting that it's a loan deal. I still feel if, if either Gasly or Sonoda doesn't work out, you'll see him back in, in Alpha Tauri in 2023. Yeah, I think that would make sense, wouldn't it? I mean, he's a great driver. We've seen that. It didn't work out at Red Bull, and they didn't have somewhere to slot him in, but I wouldn't want to let him go if I were Red Bull, so I think that would that would be a good decision from them. Well, the uh, I think the rest of the field you'll find has not actually changed. Um, Alpha Tauri retained Gasly and Sonoda. Alpine, and we'll come back to them in a moment, have retained Alonso and Ocon. Aston Martin will retain Vettel and Stroll. Ferrari retained Leclerc and Sainz. Haas retained Mazepin and Schumacher. McLaren retained Ricardo and Norris. And Red Bull 
retain Verstappen and Perez. So once everything sort of sorted itself out, there were big changes, but they tended to be changes in only a couple of the teams. The other significant change that occurred is, of course, Honda will not be supplying engines this year. It will be the Red Bull powertrain that is going to be going forward. It brings us, though, to one of the interesting points that was mentioned previously with Guangyu Zhou joining Alfa Romeo. Uh, Oscar Piastri, who won the F2 Championship has been signed as the reserve and test driver for Alpine for next year. Funnily enough, he's actually punted Daniel Kvyat from that role. <laughs> the poor bloke can't take a trick at the moment, can he? He seems to just be Formula One's punching bag. It's such a shame for the Torpedo. Piastri is the future, and I guess from Alpine's perspective, Alonso isn't going to be around forever, so an Ocon Piastri or whoever else they put in the seat next to him uh, I think would be a good idea, a good team from 2023 20, or 24, depending on when Alonso decides to bow out. Yeah, yeah, I think that's what the, the signing was for. They're, they're obviously looking towards the future. It's a shame that obviously that he's won F2 now. He won't be able to race in that formula again. It'd be interesting to see like if they can find him another formula to be able to drive in, maybe maybe in Formula E or, or maybe in the, the World Endurance Championship or just somewhere to give him some competitive seat time. We saw we saw that with uh, Red Bull having some cars in the DTM and, and that's where Alex Albon has been uh, plying his trade throughout the year. So it'll be interesting to see where um, they can get him a drive, but I'm sure they'll give him plenty of seat in the um, plenty of testing miles as well and in the simulator too. Well, for mine, I don't think it's actually a bad move for Piastri because at the end of the day, he's almost guaranteed that um, that, sec- that first seat at Alpine when Alonso retires. That that's guaranteed, and I've seen on social media all the time going, "Oh, it's a disgrace." I think I'm sitting here thinking, you know what? Playing the long game, would I rather be at Alfa Romeo or would I rather be um, guaranteed a seat in a couple of years' time at Alpine? I'd rather have the Alpine seat. Thanks. He's still young as well. He's got plenty of time ahead of him. So it's not like he needs to rush into a seat. I mean, for Schumacher and Mazepin, they've had the benefit of being in a car that's clearly not competitive, and so they've had a relatively pressure-free season in establishing themselves. But Piastri can familiarize himself with the team, with the processes and the car before he hops in, and it might give him a good level head and a nice advantage by the time he does get into a Formula 1 car. And he gets to learn from a double world champion. Yeah, that's a good asset. Good asset to have. The, the, the lord of the eyebrows at that matter as well. So <laughs> We then come to the, the calendar that they've announced. 23 races this year. Bahrain and Saudi Arabia will kick things off before heads to Australia. We see the re, um, the return of the Emilia-Romagna Grand Prix. Obviously, we've fallen in love with Imola all over again. The first big surprise is the Miami Grand Prix outside the outside Miami Gardens. Yeah, this is going to be an interesting track. Uh, built in a car park. We, we've seen that before in Vegas um, oh, back, in the, uh, back in the day. And uh, it was... Um, routinely um, disgraced by drivers, fans, and everybody in the like. Obviously, a bit more is going to be put into this one. Um, I've seen some of the, the digital productions of the track and seen the, 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 the car go around on the simulator, and it looks okay, but I think it's going to be one of these ones where it's going to be – you're going to have to wait and see. It was, it's like, it's like um, we saw in a couple of the new tracks we had this year – until you actually get the cars there live, in person, see how they go, it'll be interesting. But obviously, 
Miami's they they wanted a second race in America. They they see that as a, a big uh, target for market share, and there's obviously a lot of people there that like their motor racing. But can they compete with Indy and can they compete with NASCAR? I don't know, but it'll be. I just think yeah, we need to get the cars on the track and we can go from there. See how it goes. So the following races then will not be included this year because they were there as temporary measures, which is the Portuguese, Styrian, and Turkish Grand Prix. The Qatar Grand Prix won't be back this year as Qatar will be focusing on the World Cup. We see the return of the Canadian Grand Prix. We're back at the Circa Gilles Villeneuve. I'm very happy for that. Uh, we are going to be back at Marina Bay for the Singapore Grand Prix. The Japanese Grand Prix is back at Suzuka as well. Some of these tracks, um, very happy to see them back. For mine, I think the one that I'm disappointed we're not going to be returning to for next year is actually the Turkish Grand Prix because I think Istanbul Park Tace is probably one of the most underrated tracks in the circuit. Uh, track's phenomenal. It's produced great racing every time we've gone there. And that Turn 8 complex really, I think, is phenomenal. And many other tracks have been modelled on it since. So it is a massive shame that we're not going back there. But to get circuits like Suzuka and Montreal back, uh, that's that's a good trade, I think. Um, as much as Turkey is legendary, uh, those two have such history in Formula 1 and they have the biggest character as tracks. So... Look, sad to be losing Turkey, but to see the classics return, fair trade. Well, let's. The last thing we're going to be talking about is um, is going to be next year's Formula Two Championship because that's obviously going to have an impact on what happens going forward, especially with the expectations around what could be happening with certain drivers for next year. Now, Mirzi, we, we look into the future, we see. You know, the question mark is going to be around what happens when Lewis Hamilton eventually announces retire- his retirement. Remember, he's only got a two-year contract with the option of a third. He's lost this year. So next year could be the telling sign to see if he takes up that option. Well, I said, like, you, you saw his reaction when you were watching him uh, being interviewed by Jensen Button. That I think this is what he was he was going all in on this year. He wanted that eighth title to, to put him in, in front and go past Schumacher. Now it's up to him. He's got to dig deep and, and he's got to really see if, if he's got that motivation now. Like, obviously, he's a very driven person, but he's also someone has a lot of interest outside of Formula One um, that will be taking more and more of his time. So does he does he have that, that, that time, that mental capacity to dedicate, especially with the new cars? So obviously Mercedes will want him there next year to help them develop the new car, but you could you could get easily get to a situation where Lewis just decides that it's it's not worth it anymore and that he's that I don't I don't think he'll ever lose it because you can see how he, he still drove this year and, and that's unusual to see for a Formula One driver to still have it at his age but it's still going to be interesting to see whether the motivation's there and, and whether he wants to devote his time to other things and that's just going to be a, create a frenzy to see who who will replace him in that in that number 44. We then look, Tace, into who's hanging around in F2 next year. And a couple of them have been around now for a few years. And there's one I'm particular to look at to see how, what they can do into the future. The ones who are probably going to be hanging around there, the likes of Robert Schwartzman, Philippe Dragovic, Dan Tickton, Jan Daruvala, Yuri Vips, uh, all going to be going in for possibly their third year within F2. There are, Two drivers in particular I'm keeping an eye on uh, in F2 next year. 
One of them is the Sauber Academy driver who has a lot of wraps on him on at the moment in Theo Pocher. And the other one is an Aussie who came second in F3 this year and is making the move to F2. It's Jack Doohan. Yeah, yeah. Teo Porcher has been exciting to watch all year. Uh, earlier in the year, he was really, really competitive. He was up the front quite a lot, fighting for wins. Um, so I, I am excited to see what he can do. And Jack Doohan, just to see another Australian coming through the ranks is exciting. I don't think... Well, I've never seen three Australians in Formula One, so hopefully we can get that with the boys currently coming through. But um, Schwartzman especially, I think I'll be keeping an eye on. Thinking back to 2020, he was in the title fight between uh, Eilat Schumacher and himself, um, whereas this year he wasn't really quite as far up. So I'd like to see whether he had a one-off year or if um, you know he can come back and he can really be strong next year. But of course, Doohan will be the boy we're all rooting for. Hope we can get two Australian champs in a row. And the funny thing is, Mizzy, is that despite having a fairly lackluster year this year, Schwartzman finished second to Piastri in the end. Well, it's just consistency. And, and he's always one that's talked about. He is a Ferrari driver. They, he was talked about for that Alpha seat or, or whether he be he was also in the discussion for those Haas seats uh, last year before it went to Mazepin and Schumacher. So you want to be one of those driver academy teams, particularly the ones that have multiple teams that you can go towards. And uh, I think he's just one of those ones. That we, we know how good he is. We know he has the talent, but he's just got to wait his time. We're seeing a few, quite a couple of them also going and racing IndyCar as well. So it'll be interesting to see now whether that might be an option for some of these, um, some of these uh, drivers that are not quite making that Formula One seat. But as I said, it's IndyCar's on a bit of a renaissance too. So we're, we're seeing some of the the drivers that that are going over there um, that are the XF1 drivers. Now the F2 drivers are going over there as well. So it might be a, a legitimate place for some of these guys to go. And the other thing you have to keep keep into consideration as well is that um, Jack Doohan, on Jack Doohan's side, he is part of that Red Bull Academy. So don't be surprised if, if he has a good year in F2 that he might start putting a little bit of pressure on Sonoda as well. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Um, it would be exciting to get him up there, but Red Bull, of course, are known for their cutthroat sort of um, talent feedback. So... We would hope that he doesn't become the next Sonoda, the next Gasly, uh, or more Kvyat, uh, and get cut and lose his opportunity. But it is a good place to be if you've got the speed, as we've seen Ricardo, Vettel, and all the others come through. So hopefully we can get him in there, and hopefully he performs when he gets there. All right, final thing from you yourselves, gentlemen. Next year, Drivers and Constructors Championship. We don't know what it's going to look like this year, so this is a complete stab in the dark. Who do you think wins it next year? Oh, mate, yeah, thanks. Just put it on me. Oh, mate, it, it could go anyway. Look, obviously, I think Mercedes and um, Red Bull are going to be competitive. How can they not be? But with these new regulations, you never know. Like, when the last major change we had with the regulations, that's when we saw Mercedes come from nowhere. Could that happen again? Could could a McLaren, could a Ferrari, could a, an Alpine really turn it around with these new regulations and come out of the box like Mercedes have. So I'm just going to go George. I love George. Why not? How good would that be if you have a, a three-way title fight, Lewis, George, and Max next year? Tace? Oh, I've got to – for the championship, I've got to tip Carlos Sainz. I'm praying that oh, given, I like the trajectory, this. given the trajectory Ferrari's on and our improvement over the last year, if we're up there, he is among the most consistent on the grid with his points finishes this season. 
Um, and he's fast. He's really quick, and he's got a supportive teammate in Charles. Of course, Charles will be fighting as well. But with Carlos' consistency and his cool, smooth operability, I think he may come out on top. But we're all praying for the fight. Between all the young boys, Ferrari, Mercedes, and Red Bull, I'd be very pleased to watch that. Oh, the, you're, you're calling the chili. I like it. I like it. Ladies and gentlemen, that is full-time here on Splinters and what an episode it is and what a season it was in Formula 1. I'd like to thank my two panellists here, Matt Mears, a pleasure, and you're looking forward to the Triple H Sports Awards at the end of the year, aren't you? Certainly am. If, if I do need to appear on any of those, we will have to talk a bit more about my contract, <laughs> seeing I already am one over my uh, my required appearances on Splinters uh, for this year, but... Um, as I said, we always have a lot of fun with the with the, the ups, the downs, and the awards from uh, the year. So it won't be any different this year. Hopefully, we can get all the presenters through and, and do at least one episode and uh, have some fun because that's what we that I think is one of the the big things we have here at Triple H Sport, and that's fun. Taste. Thank you for joining us. I hope you've enjoyed your debut here on Splinters. Oh, this was phenomenal. Thank you for allowing me to be here, and more than happy to talk about Formula One anytime. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that is Splinters, the Bench Podcast on Triple H 100.1 FM, streaming on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au and available for download at podcast.com, Apple Store, YouTube Music, Spotify, TuneIn, and all good podcast sites. Of course, we do it all for Atlas Chartered Accountants, the Hornsby Karingai Post, the Hornsby RSL, and ISC Sports. On behalf of Tace Wiggins and Matt Mears, I'm Anthony Caruso. Run hard or run home. Good night. Thank you for joining us for Splinters, your no-holds-barred sports podcast. You can also find us streaming on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au and available for download at podcasts.com and all good podcast and streaming sites.